Hello and welcome. This is Stephen Ward. I hope you enjoy this episode. Communication post-stroke was for me a problem. Difficult to speak it was. Because of the tracheotomy, I still had scarring and a piece of plastic in my throat, which was held in place by a metal frame, which it duly healed and was removed. It's not there now, but I did need to attend some stage speech therapy. In order for me to create a vibration in my throat with the hole in it, they put in a speech tube, which was put in to enable me to speak semi-permanent it was in for maybe an hour or so but you're very confused so it was very difficult to find words you can see the word the color the name in front of you You can see it let's say window you knew the word as window you'd be looking at it you knew what the object was but you just couldn't find the word you'd be going through a a lot of this you think sometimes the next best thing what they did have on the word was uh was picture cards diagrams and numbers with you know, where you'd point to either yes or no. I mean, there's other ways around yes and no, thumbs up, thumbs down. But if you can use your thumb. And then pictures of items of food and drink and things, you know, the icons that you could point at to give, whoever, to try and get your point across. I was very frustrated at times that the person I was conversing with couldn't understand me. I believed they weren't even trying to understand me. Okay, in the end, that works out. I attended speech and language therapy in Dundee. Hello, Claire, if you're listening. It revolved around practicing how to be concise with speech and getting to the point. Now, at some stage, you're going to have to sit down with your loved ones, be it your wife, partner, family, and have a chat. You're going to have to talk. Now, talking to each other, speaking with each other, is something that most couples have problems doing at the best of times. Back in the 80s, a um, method was developed for couples who have problems communicating. Those who don't listen to each other or argue a lot, for example. This method proposes so-called dialogues where a couple are allocated three 10-minute slots to speak, during which time the other must listen without interrupting. Must listen. This was uh, The time allocated was once a week, preferably at weekends, but not in the evenings where critical issues might arise. In my view, it's important that this dialogue takes place anyway, regardless of at the weekend or allocated once a week day, whatever you pick. It should not be the case that one of you waits for the other one to organise it. It should be a commonly aspired to situation that you chat. Obviously, future-orientated fear of the future and so on will be a huge theme. In our case, we needed to create a plan. The hospital will do that for you first before sending you home, which is the suitability of your abode. In my case, we were lucky enough that we had a guest toilet on the ground floor and I was able to set up a bed in this living room because I couldn't go upstairs. Our home at the time was a three-storey house. We acquired ramps at the front of the house and at the back door. And at some stage, my brother built a path because it can get muddy going across the grass, which I was doing. 
Now, good, you're going to have to come up with some sort of routine anyway, and in order to have that, you need to speak. My routine was, Heidi would help me out of bed, dress, and I would wash in the, sometimes in the kitchen, believe it or not. We had a nice, big, heavy Belfast sink, but it was handy enough for rinsing the, I rinsed my head off and underneath the mixer, the, you know, hot and cold water. Showering at home was not a possibility. It had to be done in that old, the traditional manner uh, when you're in bed, bedridden. I would spend the rest of the morning, I suppose, catching up with email, the newspapers, looking into the bilchim, what they call it, the monitor. We would organise our day, our evening, or around oftentimes family and visiting. A lot of people, when they hear your home, will insist on coming to see you. It can be tiring as well. A lot of times you're regurgitating the whole story, but people are quite happy to see if you're at it and alert. There will be a lot of empathy as well. Again, I was quite confused still, and the neglect caused all sorts of problems when I was trying to converse with more than one person. Our son Liam was at school, so it was important to sit with him and to discuss future plans and be positive about how we were going to master life in the situations which I was I was fortunate enough to attend physiotherapy two mornings a week, Mondays and Fridays. And I would suggest also that if you have children at home of an age and Liam was Liam was at least eleven or so, um, is to bring the child to the physiotherapy that he can see what's happening. That progress is is you know, basically, that there's a roadmap or light at the end of the tunnel is a prognosis for the out. I believe also it helped the therapists because when they engaged me, they often brought up Liam. Once I was told, you're doing this for Liam. So that's the little touch. It's a good or a bad physiotherapist will integrate the family in the therapy sessions. Again, it's all around. And another thing is goal. When you do sit down with the physiotherapist, it's clear to lay out your goals. Should they be realistic? Goals for walking, talking, using my upper limb were clear. I just wanted to get back to normal. You can't just say, I want to be myself again. So the goal was to be less dependent on the wheelchair, to be mobile, independent of the high limb, which involves utilizing my left limb, limb as well, for things like getting dressed, putting on socks, all of which happens today. So at this stage, I can only reiterate the importance of good, solid communication. Apropos communication, that's all I have to communicate with you for today. Thanks for listening.